0: Well good morning Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. good morning. It's good to see all of you today. Hope you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep you got. Let's start. Oh you did? I was up. Oh man. I thought it was eight. It was six, <laughs> I thought it was six. Man, that's your one shot the whole year. I finally got mad with went back to bed Man. Well I guess you did get your extra hour. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this church. Uh, Thank you, God, for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light for our path. And we thank you so much that you speak to us. God, I pray that uh, whatever you have to say to us today, that you would speak it through me. God, I pray, God, that you would uh, speak through me and you would guide us all by your Holy Spirit in a deeper and better understanding of what it is you have to say to us today. We love you, God. We thank you so much. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This is our third week, I believe, in our series on 1st and 2nd Peter. And we're calling this series a new creation because ultimately Peter knows that we're a new creation in Jesus. But he's writing to a group of churches who are struggling with their identity as a new creation. So he's telling them what it looks like to be a new creation. And today we get into the specific subject of marriage. Now we know that Jesus said in the resurrection there will be no giving uh, in marriage. But right now we do have marriage. Marriage is a good part of creation. And so as Christians, as believers, how do we live as married people? But even if we're not married, Even if we're single, what can we learn from God through marriage? Well, our passage today is first Peter chapter three, verse one through seven. So First Peter chapter three verse one through seven. He says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, every year... There's a ton of award shows, but for some reason I always make sure to watch the Academy Awards. I don't know why I love watching the Oscars so much. I think it's because I watched it as a kid and maybe there's some nostalgia attached to it, but every year I watch the Oscars, and if I miss out on it, what's gonna happen? I'm not gonna be able to talk to people about it the next day. They're gonna say, did you see what happened at the Oscars? And I'm gonna say, no, I didn't watch it, so I have to watch it every year. And in 2013, so six years ago, Every year they have a controversial moment that people talk about, but this year's, or in 2013, that year's moment didn't seem that controversial. They almost made it to the end without anything happening, and then Argo won the award for best picture. Now Argo not only stars Ben Affleck, but Ben Affleck directed Argo. So who gets to do the speech to accept the award? Ben Affleck. Of course. So Ben Affleck gives a speech and he thanks his wife at the time, Jennifer Garner. He says, thank you for working on our marriage the last ten Christmases. Marriage is hard work. It's good work. It's the best kind of work. And that doesn't sound very controversial, does it? No. Well, except the fact that it was controversial and people talked about it the entire day after the Oscars. Why was it a big deal that Ben Affleck said, being married to Jennifer Garner is hard work. Now, we know that marriage is not easy, it's hard, but there's also some assumptions that we have about marriage. We assume that the true ingredients needed, I should say the stereotypes that we have about marriage, is that in order to have a good and successful marriage, well, you just need a beautiful and attractive wife and a strong and powerful man. If you have those two, well, then you've got a good marriage right there. So, why is strong and powerful and successful Ben Affleck saying about his beautiful wife, Jennifer Garner, that marriage is hard work? And then two years later, they weren't married anymore. So, I'm not here to say, oh, I know why they got divorced or what happened. No, what I'm here to say is if all you need in marriage is a beautiful wife and a strong husband, then why didn't they last as husband and wife? Well, because we need more than just a beautiful wife and we need more than just a strong and powerful husband if we're going to be in good, God-honoring and loving marriages. But it's interesting because Peter agrees. He agrees that marriages need beauty, and he agrees that marriages need power. But this is where Peter takes a fork in the road and says, here's where I don't agree with you. Peter says marriages need beauty, and they need power, but in a different way than you understand those two. Marriage is about finding true beauty and real power, and Peter says, as Christians, as followers of Christ, in your marriages or even through other people's marriages that you see, we can find true beauty and real power. So, this is the two things that Peter shows us in this passage, and the first one that he shows us, of course, is what true beauty is. So, in verses one through six, we get what true beauty is and what true beauty looks like. So Peter, in verse 3, what does he say? He says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. So he first tells us what beauty is not. Now, he's not saying that it's wrong to wear nice clothes or have nice gold jewelry or to have elaborate hairstyles. He's not saying that you shouldn't have those things, but what we have to realize is that in that culture, in Northern Rome, women were trying to outdo each other by how nice their clothes were, by how elaborate their hairstyles were, and as they were trying to outdo each other by their adornment of their jewelry and how they looked on the outside, they were finding their worth and their value and how beautiful they could make themselves on the outside. And this was their worth to their husbands. I have to prove that I'm a good wife to my husband because my husband can find another wife and leave me out on the streets. So my worth comes from what I put on. He says adornment, your adornment should not be, and then he gives us that list. That word adornment, in Greek, that word is cosmos. Does that sound like a word to you? Sounds like a couple words. But one in particular is cosmetics. Cosmetic or cosmetics. It's what you put on to become more attractive. Now, Peter's not saying cosmetics are bad. He's not saying you shouldn't try to be attractive on the outside. What he is saying is what he says in verse 4. He says, rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great work in God's sight. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying true beauty is not about what you put on you but what comes from inside of you. Now remember, he's talking to churches, right? He's talking to a, a group of churches in northern Rome. And so he's saying the work that Jesus has done in you, lives. the work that Jesus has done in you, that is what should be the most attractive thing about you. And if you want your husband to be drawn closer to Christ, makeup is not going to do the trick. Nice hairstyles aren't going to do the trick. Expensive clothes aren't going to do the trick. Fine jewelry isn't going to do the trick. What's going to draw them closer to Christ is the way you treat them the way you live because outside beauty is fading and it doesn't last but inside beauty is unfading. Think about one of our most famous Proverbs Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31 is a chapter about the ideal life. What does the ideal life look like? Well if you read all of Proverbs chapter 31 you'll notice it never says the ideal life is beautiful on the outside Now maybe she is, and that's okay, that's great. But every description of the ideal life in Proverbs 31 is not what comes from the inside of the ideal life. And at the ending of Proverbs chapter 31, in verse 30, what does it say? It says, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. Some of your translations may say beauty is vain, But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So he says, charm is deceptive. Beauty, how you look on the outside, is fleeting. It's vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, that beauty that she experiences from the Lord is never going to fade. And that is what Peter is ultimately telling wives in this passage right here. He's saying that when your beauty comes from what's been done inside of you, rather than what's been put on outside of you, then, and only then, will your husband be able to see the beauty of the Lord, and other people in your community will be able to see the beauty of the Lord. You don't see the beauty of the Lord based on how attractive you are on the outside, though it's okay to try to be attractive on the outside, but Peter says what's most important is that you're attractive on the inside, and that you treat your husband in a loving and caring way. He says, submit to your husbands. And when we read that word, it sounds kind of like he's saying be a robotic slave to your husband, doesn't it? It almost sounds like he's saying you're less than your husband. You have less work. But that's not what he's saying at all. The word for submit that we see here is basically a military word, which means to rank under. And so if. I'm in the military and i rank under somebody, does that mean that they're better than me? No, it just means that I'm trying to support them. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to make life easier on them. Who would you say is greater? Jesus, Mary, or Joseph? Well, I would say that Jesus is greater because he's God in the flesh. And yet, when Jesus was a child, the book of Luke tells us that Jesus continued submitting to his parents. It doesn't mean that Jesus was of less worth, value, or important than his parents. It doesn't mean that he always agreed with his parents, but it meant that he cared about his parents, and that he was seeking by his behavior to support them and encourage them and help them as parents. And that's why Peter says wives, submit to your husbands, because he says wives, support them, help them, treat them in a loving way rather than only allowing your beauty to be the way that you treat your husband. Of course, husbands want a beautiful and attractive wife, but Peter says what's truly the most important thing in a wife is how attractive she is on the inside. So he shows us not what fake and artificial beauty is. He shows us what true beauty is. And then a lot of people stop there, don't they? But we have to move on to verse 7 to see what Peter says to husbands in verse 7. He says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, why does Peter refer to wives as the weaker partners? Well, because... In that culture, we have to understand the context of what's going on. In that culture, men, or I should say, husbands had power over their wives. Typically, they were the breadwinner. Typically, they were much stronger physically. A husband, think about this: a wife had to obey their husband's religion. There was a rule and wrong. If your husband has a certain religion, your wife has to obey it. Talk about power. Men had power, and they could use it to intimidate and to control. And Rome said, not only are women weaker physically, but they're weaker mentally, they're weaker emotionally. Now, Peter obviously doesn't agree with that. He just addressed women as equals. He just addressed them in this letter, not saying men interpret this for your wives, but now I'm speaking with women face-to-face, just as Jesus taught women face-to-face. Peter is saying, yeah, most of them are probably weaker than you physically, and you can use that to intimidate them and control them and manipulate them, and you have power over them because in your society and in your culture, you have all of the advantages that you can use to take advantage of your wives." But what does he say? He says that power is not about how strong you are. know, it's not about how strong you are or it's about how you use your strength. Do we really believe that, though? Do we really believe that power is not about how strong you are, but about how you use your strength? I think we actually do believe that. If I turn on the news, and I see that there was a mass school shooting, now, who was the strongest person in that school shooting? The person with all of the military weapons. But what do we say about them? We don't say, wow, they are powerful. We say, wow, they are weak. They are cowardly. But hey, if power is all about how strong you are, then they're powerful. But Peter says, that's not power. Power is how you use the strength that you have. And husbands, if you want to use your strength to intimidate, manipulate, and control your wives, when I say, wives submit to your husbands, do you look at that as a way to take advantage of your wives or do you say maybe I am physically stronger than my wife. Maybe I do have advantages that they don't have. In that time, most jobs are manual labor. Most wives cannot work that job. Men, are you going to use that in order to say you have to do what I say, wife, or you're going to starve to death? You're going to be thrown out under the streets. You have to obey what I worship. No. Peter... He's not just writing to Christian wives, he's writing to Christian husbands. And he's saying that true and real power is not just having strength, but it's how you use strength. So how do you use the strength that you have as a husband? Well, he says to be considerate of your wives. Respect your wives. My translation says respect. Many of your translations will say honor your wives. Now think about this. In Rome, wives were considered second-class citizens. In chapter 2, Peter said, honor the emperor. In chapter 3, Peter says, husbands, honor your wives. Emperor, the most important person in civilization, wife, a second-class citizen, Peter says, put them on the same level. Honor them in the same way way. Respect them and revere them and be considerate of them. Because you may say that I'm strong and that I have power, but the power that was meant to be given judgments in marriage was the power to be considerate, loving, caring, respectful, and honoring of the wife. But he says, do this so that your prayers will not be hindered. And this kind of strikes at something that we believe about marriage. Sometimes We believe that marriage is about our happiness. That's true. And that's part of why Peter is writing what he's writing. But it's not just about our happiness. Peter is saying that your marriage, the way that you relate to each other in marriage, is a pointer. And it's a pointer to Jesus. He's saying it's not just about being happy, it's about having a mission. It's about having purpose. And he's saying... Husbands, if you mistreat your wives, you will not pray together. And it will hinder your prayers because how you treat your wives is how you treat God himself. And so he's saying marriage is meant to show people a relationship. Not just your relationship, but the relationship of Jesus and the church. Paul himself talks about this. In Ephesians chapter 5, he explains this in a little bit more depth. But in verses 21 through 33 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, and it's going to sound very similar to what Peter said, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So submit to one another, give up your freedoms for one another, give up your hopes for one another, give up your dreams for one another, give up your rights for one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in verse 28 he says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Now if you don't hear anything, this is what I want you to hear the most. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. That was a lot. That was long, right? But what is Paul saying? What is he talking about? He's saying the same thing that Peter is talking about. He says, wives, just as the church submits itself to Christ, you also submit yourself to your husband. And and husband, just as... Jesus died for his church, laid down your life for your bride. Because when people see you as husband and wife, when they see your marriage, they're not just looking at the two of you, they're looking at the relationship between us and God. And our marriage is meant to be a signpost and a light pointing to that by our marriages. We can show others what it looks like to be in a relationship with Jesus. And where do we learn in our marriages to show true beauty? Well, our spouse, Jesus, shows us what it looks like to show true beauty. What does the book of Isaiah say? When it describes the suffering servant who we now know is Jesus, it says... He, Jesus, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. So there was nothing on the outside that would lead us to believe that Jesus is the most beautiful thing that we could ever experience. And when he came down to earth, people said, what does he look like on the outside? And they said, well, he's not beautiful in the way that I want him to be beautiful. So we reject him. But his beauty didn't come from the outside, how strong he was, or impressive. They said, Messiah has to be a strong military leader. But Jesus had the spirit in the inside that was gentle, quiet, and loving. And Jesus showed us that True beauty is not about what we look like on the outside, but it's about who we are on the inside. And on the inside, Jesus showed us that he would be willing, and he did lay his life down for us, which is the most beautiful act that's ever been performed for you ever. None of your spouses have ever actually laid down their lives for you. And even if they did, they couldn't do it in the way that Jesus did because he took on the greatest darkness and the greatest pain that anyone could ever experience by going from the full light of God to the total darkness of all of our sin. So Jesus shows us what true beauty is, but he also shows us what real power is. Do you remember when Jesus was being arrested? They came to arrest him at night. Why did they do that? Well, they came to arrest him at night so that they could do it secretly. And one of Jesus' companions, it says, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. How did Jesus respond to that? Jesus Mm -hmm. said in Matthew chapter 26, he said, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? What was Jesus saying here? He was saying, I'm stronger than everybody here. I could snap my finger, and there would be twelve legions of angels, there would be angel armies saving me from the cross and putting these people on their own cross. And yet, real power is not about how strong I am, but it's about how I use my strength. How am I going to use my strength? I'm going to lay down my life for those who are putting my life on the cross. Jesus shows us in our marriages in our lives and in our walks with God, what true beauty looks like and what real power is. And by showing us true beauty and real power, what was Jesus showing us? He was showing us real and true love, which is what Peter and Paul have been calling us to do for our spouses in our marriage. But what's the problem? We say, my spouse doesn't deserve true beauty. My spouse doesn't deserve real power. My spouse doesn't deserve for me to submit myself to them. They've got to earn it first, and then I'll give it to them. But look at Jesus. Jesus did not lay his life down for you because you're beautiful. Jesus laid his life down for you to make you beautiful. And Jesus did not lay his life down for you because you are equal to him, but Jesus laid his life down with you to make you heirs to the promise of the grace of life. Jesus, only in Jesus do we see true beauty and real power. And when we see the true beauty and real power of what Jesus did on the cross for us, when we see the true beauty and real power of an empty grave that Jesus left to guide us out of, it's only then, it's only then that we can have the marriages that God designed for us to have. And even if we're not married, we can see in marriage, we can see by other Christians in their marriage, and we can see by the ultimate marriage that we experience in Jesus and anticipate when the book of Revelation says, one day the bride of Christ will be fully dressed and ready for the wedding of the Lamb. In that marriage, we see true beauty. We see real power. And in our marriages right now, we can point to that beauty and power by living out the true and real beauty and power that Jesus showed for us as our spouse. Let's pray. God, we thank you for marriage. Not just because so much joy comes out of it, but because it helps us to understand who you are, God. God, the Bible describes you as our husband. God, we are your bride, God. and We choose to submit to you because we love you. And God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Not so that you'll pay attention to us, but because you've been paying attention to us since before we ever heard of you, God. We love you. We thank you. We thank you that you're the perfect spouse for us. And we pray that out of your love for us as a spouse, that we as spouses will love our spouses and that we who are single will be encouraged and lifted up as we see the beauty and power that comes out of Christians in their marriage. And we love you and we thank you so much, God. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.